Welcome to Relevant Live with Pastor Chris Sarno, a weekly podcast from Relevant Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. We pray that this message inspires hope, help, and healing in your life. And as always, welcome home. Well, I'm excited about this series that we are on. We are talking about the Word. Everybody say the Word. It was funny, Pastor Chris was telling me, he was sending me some things. He was like, sometimes the Word can be a dry topic. And I said, the Word of God should never be a dry topic. The Word of God is living, breathing, powerful. The Word of God is is exciting. Now, we have a Bible college. I have taught every book of the Bible, pretty much. And I have people that go, oh, I don't like reading the Old Testament. Oh, man, you read Leviticus. That's a hard book to get through. You want to know how it's not hard to get through? You read Leviticus and go, thank God I live in 2019. Amen. I'm so thankful I'm a preacher and a pastor in 2019 and not a priest. Back, Well, I couldn't be a priest because I'm a girl. But, you know, back in those days, because, man, it was hard, right? You can find something in the Bible for every situation in your life. The Bible is the most powerful, powerful thing in the entire world. Amen. You know, this past week, it was September 11th. And how many of us remember where we were on September 11th in 2001? And and I remember very vividly, I had actually just come home. I had come home the day before. And I remember being grateful that I had flown in the night before. I was from Orlando. I was here. And and I flew back to Kentucky. And I was so grateful that I had gotten on the plane that night before. And I had gotten out because, you know, you wouldn't have. But this, as we remembered and we thought about that, I said Mr. Paul had posted something beautiful about about the September 12th America. That our American country on September the 12th, that day many years ago, we were united. And everybody was hand in hand, arm in arm, proud to be an American. It was an awesome thing. And what was meant for evil was good. But So we had the commemoration of that this past week. And I started reading. You know, I go and I like to read things. And I read the story of a man named Stanley Pramnath. And it was fascinating to me, and it really impacted me. And as we were getting ready to do this series, I thought, man, this is a powerful story, and I want to share it with you. Stanley Pramnath, he is the 9-11 Commission, credits him as being the only known survivor from the impact zone at the World Trade Center Towers on September 11th. Now, he was from Guyana. He was a man who had come to America. He worked his way up in the finance world, and he became the vice president at Fuji Bank. He was located on the 81st floor of Tower Number World Trade Center, Tower 2, on the 81st floor. And he said he was often, because back then planes could fly there, and he said he would see planes flying at his eye level, and he thought he was on top of the world. He became a Christian. He, he got saved. He said most of his co-workers were either Buddhist or Shinto. He was pretty much one of the only believers, and he would spend his lunch break sitting at his desk reading his Bible and reading the Word of God. And on that morning, on September 11th, he was, when the first plane hit the first tower, he was in the elevator of Tower 2 going up to the 81st floor, so he had no idea what happened. He walked into his office, and the phone started ringing. His wife was calling. His kids, people were calling him, saying, are you okay? Are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. And he said, I got to go. And, you know, he said he didn't know what had happened, but he looked out the window, and he saw fiery debris coming down. So he said, I better get out of here. So he took the elevator down to the lobby, and when it got, he still didn't know what had transpired. No one in Tower 2 knew at that point that a plane had hit the first building. They didn't know what was going on. But the security guard said, stop, what are you doing? 
And he said, well, I'm getting out of here. Something's going on. I'm leaving. And he said, oh, no, you're fine. Our tower is secure. You can go back to your office. So he said, okay. And about that time, there was a notice that came on the loudspeaker. It said, we have, we have verified that Tower 2 is secure. We're not sure what's happening right now, but everyone is fine to continue about your day. So he got in the elevator and he went back up to his office. When he walked into his office on the 81st floor of Trade Center, World Trade Center Tower 2, the phone rang and a woman from their Chicago office was calling him and she said, you need to get out now, Stanley. Get out. And he said, no, everything is fine. And he said about that time, he turned to look out the window and he saw a plane coming towards him. It was the plane that struck Tower 2. So when he did that, um, let me see, where it was? He said, even in the soundproof building, it was soundproof. He could hear the engine revving like it gets ready to rev when it gets ready to take off. He said he could, it reverberated through his office. And he said he will never forget that sound as long as he lives. And he was watching as this plane was coming directly at him. He said the only thing he could do was dive underneath his desk and say, Jesus. He said, then the plane slammed into the building and the bottom of the wing sliced through his office and actually stuck in the door 20 feet from where he was huddled underneath his desk. He ended up miraculously escaping that day. With, there was debris up to his shoulders. He had to crawl his way out. He got stuck behind. He punched his way through some drywall. And there was other, some other people from higher up. They weren't in the impact zone that heard him and stopped and pulled him out. And they got, he escaped. But he said these words. He said, there was a massive fireball as the major part of the plane blew up. The only desk that stood firm was the one that I was hiding under because my Bible was on top of it. Every wall was flattened as if a demolition crew had just passed through. He said other than his desk, every other piece of office furniture besides the desk he was under was smashed like matchboxes. Part of the floor above his head collapsed downward and all of the cables in the ceiling were dangling and falling and short-circuiting because the sprinklers came on. And he said this, I thought if the floor does not completely collapse and kill me, I'll be electrocuted or the plane's wing that is in the door 20 feet from me is going to blow up and I'm going to die. Above him, there was a fiery inferno that was raging and there was fire that was also on his floor just a little bit away, but in his office, there was no fire. It was a miracle, he said. I was covered by the shadow of the Lord. But I read that story, and there was one line that stood out to me when he said, the only thing that stood firm was the desk I was hiding under because my Bible was on top of it. There is power in the word of God. There is protection in the word of God. We can take for granted the protection that there is in this book. And I thought it fascinating that when he is giving his account of how he was miraculously spared, I don't know about you, but a plane coming through the office door and the only thing that was not smashed was his desk with the word of God on it. How many of you know that our God is a protector and the word of God is a protector there is power in the word of God. John chapter 1 in the New Living Translation says this. 
in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. See, Jesus is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. But when he left in flesh form, he left us his written Word that has the same power that he had. The written word, are you saying this Bible is Jesus? I'm saying this Bible is the words of God. The word of God was in the beginning and the word of God is today. And it says in that verse that it shines in the darkness and darkness could never extinguish it. See, Mr. Stanley Pramnath really literally experienced darkness trying to extinguish something, but the word of God came and it could not be extinguished because the word of God was on it. Amen. The phrase, the word, is the translation of the Greek word logos, which really is this. It's a principle originating in Greek, classical Greek, and it refers to, and I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up, the universal divine reason, imminent in nature, yet transcending all opposition and imperfections in the cosmos and humanity, an eternal an unchanging truth present from the time of creation available to every individual who seeks it. See, the things and the truths found in this book are not just available to scholars, to pastors. They're available to anyone and everyone who seeks to understand. The Bible says, ask for wisdom and wisdom will come. Ask for understanding. Seek understanding. Seek to understand what's found in this book. This book will do you no good if it sits closed on a shelf. But if you open it up and you begin to read the words found in it, your life will take on new meaning. Your life will be transformed forever. In the New Testament, that phrase, the word, the logos of God, it shows God's desire and ability to speak to humans. His ability to speak to us. It says that the word became flesh. John 1.14 says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I was just talking with Pastor Chris last night, and he was telling me how his translator in Peru, her name is Gigi. He said, I have the best Gigi, but his, his translator's name is Gigi. And she told him, the way that that translates in Spanish is the verb became flesh and dwelt among us. See, the word is not, a, not an inanimate object. The word is an action. And it has an action for everything you face. Amen? It says in the New Living Translation that the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. The Word of God is powerful. It is the most powerful thing that you and I have, but we so often take it for granted. I take for granted that I can walk into any bookstore and I can buy as many different versions of this Word that I want to. I take for granted the fact that I have about 20 of these Bibles around my house, around the office. We take for granted the fact that this is so precious. We were in India, and Pastor Chris just went to lay his Bible on the step, and the man came to him and said, oh, Pastor, please, please do not do that. To the, that is the Word of God. Please reverence and honor it. Do not set it on the step, but put it where it belongs. And because they reverence and they value, we get so used to this word of God that we just take it for granted, I think. 
Maybe not you, but I think that I do. The Word of God is so powerful that in many places it's not allowed. Did you know there's 195 countries in this world? And then in 52 of those countries, the Bible is illegal. Now, the majority of those countries do not believe in God. But it begs the question, if you don't believe God exists, why do you care what his word says? You don't believe in God. You believe in your religion. But if you're found with one of these, in some places you could die. You know what? In North Korea, they are not allowed to worship anyone but their leader, Kim Jong-un. They are not allowed to worship him. In North Korea, guess what happens? Bibles are banned. And anyone found in possession of a Bible can face imprisonment torture, and even death, but not just them, up to three generations of their family can also face the same thing. If you don't believe that God exists, why do you care what his word says? But you want to know what? It says in the Bible that the, the word of God, that the, it, can, it, it, it will never be extinguished in the darkness. I read stories when I was growing up about Brother Andrew and different missionaries whose job, they would smuggle Bibles into countries where this was not allowed. They would put them in their suitcases and pray as they were crossing the border that God would blind the eyes of the guards because if they opened up the suitcase and found the Bibles in the suitcase, they would be killed instantly. And you know what? God did. Story after story about how a guard would come and they would have Bibles lining the suitcase and they would open up the suitcase and their eyes would be blinded. We read about instances where people's eyes were blinded and the word, guess what? It still happened. And not too long ago. Why? Because the word of God is powerful. I never heard of anybody that got arrested for reading Cinderella. Did you? Cinderella is a fairy tale. Well, supposedly so is the Bible. But no one's ever been killed for reading about a glass slipper and the mice and the birds. And that someday her prince would come. But people lose their life over obtaining a copy of this. Why? Because this is God's word and it's powerful and it's living and it's breathing. And we have to implant it on the inside of us. I was telling them in the morning service, I grew up and, and in my home, we were required to learn scripture. I said, my parents, when they first got saved, they were part of, they, they believed that Jesus was coming back real soon. So they moved out to, the, to Canada. To, they lived in a community where there was, they like planted their own food and they, they there was no running water. They had the well and all, no electricity, none of that stuff. But they also believed that there was going to come a time that the word of God was going to be outlawed in our country. So they made sure that we memorized the scripture. Because guess what? You may be able to take my, my pages, but you can't take my mind. And you can't take what's in my heart. And you want to know what? There are verses that I learned as a child that still ring over and over and over again in my mind. I was telling them, it was, I mean, it was last year or the year before, I don't remember which one, but there was anxiety that was trying to come upon me. The enemy was coming against my mind. And it would, I would almost be, in, I wasn't fearful, but I, you know, you know how if you had it come on you where you're literally almost in a cold sweat and your mind is racing a thousand miles away? You don't want to know what I did? I opened my mouth and said, the only verse I could think of the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he leadeth me he maketh me lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside still waters he restoreth my soul and I began to say those verses 
over and over and over again. I would wake up in the middle of the night with this, just this pressing, crushing, and you want to know what I do? I open my mouth. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I didn't worry about any other scripture. I said, that's the scripture that came to my mind. I would say it over and over and over again. We took a trip with Lauren, and I was already not feeling well, and, and Pastor Chris and I had taken her on a trip, and we took her to New York, and we were walking down the street, and this it was crushing me in my thoughts. I could barely even focus. I never even told her that. I was struggling hard, and as I was walking down the street, I was literally in my mind, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me, he makes me lie down to green pastures, he leadeth me beside still waters, he restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He has prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, my cup runneth over, he anointeth my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then I would stop, and I would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I did that for 30, 20, 30 minutes straight over and over and over again until I could breathe again. You want to know why? Because the word of God is in me. And I know that, that I have scriptures that I remember back then. I said I was convicted this morning. I got to start memorizing the word again. Because when it comes up out of you, how many of you have verses that you've learned that when you're in the midst of a situation, it just bubbles up from the inside of you? Mr. Paul's the best. He just learns passages and passages of scripture. He just he goes walking every morning and he's constantly learning the word of God. You want to know what? There may come a day. I, I've heard that they're trying to outlaw this book in libraries and it's already been outlawed in schools and they were trying to take it out of our country. What's going to happen when this isn't allowed? I hope you have it implanted on the inside of you where they can say, that's great. You can say whatever you want, but I know what my Bible says. Maybe some of you will start memorizing scripture after today. I don't know. I just think about that. Like I have people that I know that are atheists. I said, I don't think you're atheist. I think you're anti-Christian because you certainly do not spend your time trying to disprove Buddhism. And you do not try to spend your time trying to disprove any of the thousands of other religions. All you care about is trying to disprove Christianity. This book is a book of fairy tales. If it's a book of fairy tales, where's your post about Aesop's fables? Where's your book? Where's your post about James Patterson's last book or Danielle Steele's last book? Because those are books of fiction as well. And I certainly don't see anyone trying to rip those apart. Why is this the only book that they care about? Because there is power in this book that if we grab hold of this book and begin to really delve into it and apply it to our lives, our lives will transform and change. And there's nothing that can stop us. Amen? The word of God is eternal. See, Jesus' words that are recorded in Scripture will outlast history. In Psalm 119.89, it says, Forever, O Lord. Your word is settled in the heavens. And how many of you know if it is settled in the heavens that it is certainly settled here on earth? Amen? The word of God is transformational. And I'm going to sit on this for a minute because the word of God will transform anything and everything. It'll transform your thinking. It'll transform your life. It'll transform your family. It'll transform your thoughts. It will transform everything if you just simply begin to apply it. In 2 Peter verse one, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? It doesn't say His divine power has given us some things. It doesn't say His divine power has given us only the things that we understand. It says His divine power has given us all things, but we have to seek out what those all things are and un- grab some understanding about what they are and say, okay, I want to apply this to my life. Pastor Chris says this, and I think it's awesome because, you know, I used to always think that the Holy Spirit brought conviction 
But he, you know, he told me that. When, I said, the Holy Spirit doesn't bring conviction. He just brings remembrance of what the word says. If I'm not forgiving you, and I'm, because yeah, I would never, never even be out of you, Miss Normandy, Miss Sweet Normandy, if I have ought against her, and I think about her, what do I hear? Forgive, so you'll be forgiven. What do I hear? Bless them that curse you. Do good to them who despitefully use you. And I don't want to hear those things. Why? Because sometimes I want to wallow in my flesh a little bit. But I have to learn. I have some things I need to apologize for today because I wallowed in my flesh a little bit. But guess what? You know what? The Word of God, He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue. The Bible's sufficiency means that it's comprehensive in its ability to meet every need. It's not selective. It doesn't say some things. There's every single thing you need can be found in it. The Word of God will transform your vision. The Word of God will change the way that you see yourself and make you not see yourself the way you see yourself, but make yourself see yourself the way that God sees you. God's Word will also allow you to see God in ways that you could not see otherwise. You know, I love that story of John the Baptist, how once he was in prison, Pastor Chris preaches it, how he was imprisoned, and he was the one who came before Jesus declaring the way of the Lord. But when he was in a situation of pressure, he started doubting what it was that he knew. And he told his disciples, the ones that he had told about that Christ is coming, follow him. He told his disciples, go ask him, is he the one that we've heard about or do we need to go look for someone else? And in that moment, Jesus said, just go back and tell him, what did you see? What did you hear? And then Jesus didn't say one word about John except what the book of Isaiah said about him. He opened his mouth and said, you're looking to see a reed shaking in the wind, but what you really have here is a prophet, and there is none greater than John. And he began to quote what the word of God. If Jesus, in a moment, quoted about someone what God's word said, why are we saying anything different about us than what God's word says about us? Jesus didn't do it. The guy was literally saying, I don't, I'm doubting you. I'm telling all my people I don't know who you are. And he said, that doesn't matter. This is what my word says about you. And began to quote the word of God. We can see God in another way. I think about that story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac and being obedient and walking up the side of the mountain. And as he's walking up the side of the mountain to do everything, that the, the hardest thing he ever had to do, there was a ram that was walking up the other side that was caught in a thicket at just the moment because God became his provider. He'd never seen God like that before. How many ways have you never seen him that you can see him if you look in his word, you'll find something different about him? It's, Thomas Brooks said this, the word of the Lord is a light to guide you. It is a counselor to counsel you. It is a comforter to comfort you. It is a staff to support you. It is a sword to defend you, a physician to cure you. The word of God is a mind to enrich you, a robe to clothe you, and a crown to crown you. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit of all the joints and the marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The, what the Word of God does is when we read that Word, it exposes what's in our heart that is not like Him, and gives us the opportunity to choose to make a change in our thinking, in our speaking, and in our acting. It comes in, it's living and powerful. It's not a dry, dusty book. 
You know, every year for the past however many years, I've read through the Bible from cover to cover from the beginning of the year to the end. And this year I did not do that. Do you want to know why? Because I realized I was reading it just to finish that day's plan. And I said, I never want this word. I never want to be so complacent about this that I'm just reading it so I can check off some boxes and have it done. So I did not read the Bible through this year. And guess what? I'm okay. I read it through before. You maybe have never read it through. That's okay. Don't get on a plan. You should, it's good to be on a plan. Now you want to know what else I found? I need to be on a reading plan. That is important for me. That's how I function the best. So I'm going to go back on a reading plan. I'll probably read it through from cover to cover next year. But i got to stay on some kind of plan. You know, sometimes it forces me to not just read to study, but just to read to read. I told them this morning, I hope that you'll be encouraged today to start valuing the Word of God. What do you have to do? Spend time in the Word every single day. Go find a happy place. Maybe you got to go drive down to the river and watch the water and you spend time with God every day. Maybe you set up a nice pretty chair in your house that's your Bible reading little corner and you make a commitment that every day I'm going to sit. You know, when I was young, we had to wake up in the morning and do devotions. That was what we did. We had our quiet time in the morning. We had to wake up and we had a time designated to read our Bibles, to pray. I didn't understand the value of it when I was a kid, but I do understand the value of it now, why that's important to spend that time with him. Because if I don't get in his book, how can his book transform and change me. Just knowing those scriptures, I have them in my heart, but unless I'm regularly reminding my mind of what's in my heart, then I don't tend to act like what's in my heart. Does that make sense? It says in James chapter 123 that if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who observes his natural face in the mirror and then he walks away and forgets what manner of man he is. But he that looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continues in it as not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he was. The word of God illuminates for us. It's like looking in a mirror, not to see this face, but to see this face. To see what's in my spirit. To see who he made. To see where I need to grow, not where I fall short. Never where I fall short, but where do I need to grow? Some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, I really, I don't even like to read the Bible because I'm not walking in any of that. Guess what? Take it now from now this day forward as you're never falling short, you have an opportunity to grow. This is showing me what I can become. Because if we know what we can become, it gives us the ability to become it. If I don't know what I can be and I have no idea, how can you become something that you have no idea that you can be? You can't. You don't just randomly wake up one day and miraculously you have some dust sprinkled on you and now you're this, no, it takes, it takes effort, it takes time of digging in the word of God and being in it. You have to get in there and say, who do you say I am? Who are you today? Ask him those questions. Did you know that he, the Holy Spirit is just waiting for you to ask him questions? As I read the word today, show me what you want to show me. What do you want me to see? You'd be surprised. You might be reading a story. Uh, you might be reading something in the Word that has nothing to do, and the Holy Spirit quickens something to your mind, and it, it's an answer to something you need that had nothing to do with what you were reading. I can't tell you the number of people who come up to Pastor Chris and myself, oh, man, that was really good what you said about whatever it is, and we're like, mm, we didn't say that, but okay. <laughs> There's also people who come up and go, I can't believe you said that. We're like, again, we didn't say that, but okay. 
Why? Because the Holy Spirit illuminates. The word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Why do you think that in Joshua 1.8, he said, this book of the law will not depart from my heart and will meditate on it therein day and night so that I will observe to do it. Why? Because as you observe to do what's in the word, you end up walking in the perfect law, in the perfect word of God. The word of God can even tra- transform your situation and your circumstances. See, power is the ability. Listen to this. Power is this. It's the ability to affect change or produce the desired effect. There's a lot of times that the situations that we're walking through in our life, more times than not, God does not change those situations. He changes our ability to walk through those situations. What did Paul say? I had a thorn in my flesh. I was being buffeted by the enemy, and three times I asked God, take this away from me. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness, that is where I am made strong. Some of you are looking at things and going, I need this situation to change. Maybe you just need to say, God, I need to be bigger than this situation. Let me go learn how to be an overcomer. Let me go learn how to transform my thinking. Let me go learn how to renew my mind to what you say. I don't need anything to change. Stop asking him to change the situation and say, make me bigger than what I'm walking through. Now, and sometimes the situation will change, but how many of you can look back in your life and see that there have been the majority of times, maybe nothing changed in the situation. It just stopped bothering you all of a sudden. I'm not bothered by the things I used to be bothered by. There's certain, it's kind of like this. How many have been married for a really long time? Some of you have, right? There's probably things that used to bother you in the beginning that you're probably married the longest, right? There's probably things that in the beginning of your marriage used to, that now you just go, eh, no big deal. Why? Because it's not worth it, right? It's kind of like that as you walk in your walk with God, those little annoyances that try to come and get you off track, as soon as they know that they can't, you just see them and you go, oh, well, that doesn't bother me anymore because I know that I'm bigger than this. I know that I'm greater than this. There's very real things that you face. Some of you are facing very real situations and circumstances, but guess what? He can make you bigger than those too. I'm not making light of what you walk through. You might be facing depression. You might be facing anxiety. You might be facing sickness. That's okay. He'll make you bigger than what you're facing. But you have to get in the pages of the book in order for him to transform you. You can't transform unless you're applying it to your life. I can read about that he has the peace that passes all understanding. But unless I allow that peace to come into my heart and I say, okay, I'm going to physically not allow anything but peace to dwell here. Dr. Rob told me this this past couple weeks we were in Chicago, and he said something so great. He said, you have like this circle around you, and you have to choose not to allow people to penetrate that circle, meaning this. Somebody that wants to cause drama in my life, you can only go to here. I'm not letting you past here. You can cause your drama out there, but it's not going to affect me in here. I love you. I'm still standing here, but I have a little circle around me that is a drama-free zone that I will not allow people to come into my heart. Right? You have to, you have to say, no, I'm staying in the perfect peace that passes all understanding. You've got to keep your stuff out here. I'll help you. I'll talk to you, but I'm not going to allow it to go past a certain point. I've renewed my mind to understand that it's too important to me, the thoughts that I think that I will not dwell on it. It's so you gotta you gotta be able to do that. The word of God. It says in Isaiah 55, verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, 
but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. We hear that verse. You know what that means? That's God saying, so shall my word not return to me void, but it will prosper in the thing to which I sent it. That means when he speaks his words to me and I speak my words back to him, they return to him with the power that's necessary to accomplish them in me. When he tells me that I can have peace that passes all understanding and I read that in his word, he's brought it to me. I open my mouth and say, but the peace of God shall dwell in my, passes all understanding, shall dwell in my heart and mind. What I'm doing is I'm releasing them back to him filled with power to accomplish that peace in my life. But without reading the word and without applying it to my life, then I'm not going to live in peace. I can say, I really want to have peace. This is too much. But how about we start saying, no, the word of God says the peace of God dwells in my heart and my mind. And anything that's not has nothing to do with peace, I will not allow to go past my little circle right now. He said it's in the New Living Translation, it's the same with my word. He said, I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to. You know, what he wants it to accomplish in our life is nothing but good things. But Pastor Liz, you don't, I'm walking through some bad things, I know. I told him this morning, you know, my little, my little girl, last year I got a phone call. It was a Wednesday night. She'd been, she'd been preparing for dance competition for nine months. Been working on doing this thing. And it was two days before competition. And I got a phone call, and they said, Gigi's been hurt. You need to come. And I rushed to the studio, and I see my little girl with her arm kind of curled up, took her to the hospital. She had broken her wrist. And I watched her, one, the physical pain. Two, I watched the disappointment, not getting to do what she'd been training for for nine months. I watched her sadness as she watched her friends get to participate, and she didn't get to. And as a mom, you want to know what? It hurt my heart. I shed some tears watching her cry. I wanted to, I couldn't save her from that. But what I could do was help her get through that. See, some of you are broken. Some of you are experiencing broken situations in your life. And you're like, where's my heavenly father? He's standing right there going, I wish I could have prevented that. That day, I almost said to her, don't try anything crazy today. And I didn't tell her that. I thought it. I was like, eh, she's not going to try anything crazy. She said, Mom, if you would have said that to me, then I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have tried my back handspring. I would have just left it alone. I said, well, I'm not going to take the blame for that. I'm just going to leave it. But you want to know what? Our Heavenly Father, he's looking going, I wanted to prevent it, but even though it happened, it doesn't mean I'm not saving up your tears, and it doesn't mean I'm not crying them with you. The shortest verse in the Word of God is Jesus wept. Jesus went and heard that his friend was dying, Lazarus. He waited. Why? He said, this isn't going to end to death. He waited until there was no more hope, and then he went to where Lazarus lay. Jesus could have stepped in and prevented him from dying. But Jesus didn't need to. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Why did Jesus weep? Why did he weep? The only reason he wept was because he saw them weeping and because he felt the pain that they felt. 
See, we don't have a high priest that is, done, that is void of our emotion. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, it says that he has experienced everything that we experience. He has experienced every emotion, every pain, every joy, every sorrow, every happiness, every victory, every triumph, every devastation. He experienced them all. Why? So that he would know how to help us through them. He experienced pain so that when we're hurting in our hearts, he can come in and say, let me be the healer for your heart. He experienced desolation and people turning their backs on him. Why? So that when people turn their backs on us, he can say, I was there too. Let me show you how to get through this. Let me be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He experienced every single thing. Why? He did not have to, but he did. Why? So that when we go through something, there is nothing that we do not face that he hasn't experienced either. We forget that. But God, why did this happen to me? I don't know. Why did she have to go through pain? Why did she have to hurt herself? I don't know why, but all I could do was say, let me be there for you. Let me hold you. Let me care for you. Let me take care of you. Let me encourage you when you're sad about it. Let me be there. You want to know what our Heavenly Father does 20,000 times more than that? He's there to say, I'm here for you. I see your tears. In fact, I shed my own when I watched you cry because I love you that much. That's why he gave us this book. It says he's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He was the Word in the beginning. And he walked through our life every single thing that we could possibly ever need to face. And then he went back and put it all in here so that when we're facing overwhelming thoughts, we can go and read about casting our cares upon him. When we're looking at situations, we can say, peace be still to the storms. He said, I'm putting everything in this book and I'm leaving it with you because it's not separate from me. It's part of me. And the written word of God has just as much power as Jesus' spoken words did here on earth. His spoken word when he said, peace be still to the storm, has the same power when we read it out of here and we say, peace be still to the storms in our life. Any situation that we face, the word of God is perfect and it can restore your soul. It says in Psalm 19:7 that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The New Living Translation says the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. Why is it important for us to get in that book? Because our spirits are already perfect. It's our souls that have to be refreshed and revived. Because the cares of the world and the weight that comes doesn't come in to affect our spirit. It comes in to affect our soul so that we don't want to worship God. So that we don't want to get in the word. So that we don't want to spend time in his presence. The cares of the world will come and try to steal the word. But if we just say, no, I'm only going to do what the word says. I'm only going to hold on to the word says, I don't even want to read my Bible, but I will bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. I will bless his holy name. Tell your soul what to do. And the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. It restores your soul. And in times when your soul needs to be restored, it's as close as opening up this book and beginning to read. You can find every emotion in the Bible. I said David was probably the most bipolar person you ever met. Go read the Psalms. I'm in the depths of despair. There is no one that can find me. No, not one. I'm in the depths of hell. Oh, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Oh, but the Lord is the strength of my heart. You read it, it's the first, is that not true? Half of them, half of them, it's not even one psalm than the other. It's all in the same one. 
You're like, dude, can you get it together? Oh, my God, there's no hope, but my hope is in the Lord. Okay, good, you know? It's like you look and you go, David, where are you at? You can find, I, I can't find myself in this Bible. Oh, really? Are you in the depths of despair? Are you sad? Are you depressed? Are you broken? Are you sick? Are you weak? Are you poor? You can find those things in here, but that's not where you stay. Because in every single situation, he shows you how you're not what you think you are. You're what he says about you. Amen. It restores your soul. See, restoring your soul is kind of like this. I told them, I like to think that I'm very crafty, but I'm really not at all. Like, I enjoy the thought of renovating things. I think it's awesome. I, how many of you watch like HGTV and you see them doing all these DIY projects? I decided a while back that I was going to DIY my dining room table and my chairs because my chairs were like cream colored, which is so stupid when you have kids. Why do you buy cream colored cloth chairs? I don't know. So I'm like, I'm going to fabric paint them. And I watched the tutorial and I decided I got about as far as painting my dining room table. And then somebody else, thank God, painted a chair for me. And now I have, oh, I said it earlier too, I have one completely done chair and the rest of them are still the same. So I don't invite people over for dinner, so that's why. Um, no, it, but it's horrible. I think that I could do it. I'm like, oh, this is so easy. Yes, I'm going to get the fabric paint and I'm going to paint the chairs. It's going to be awesome. Guess what? I can do none of those things. I mean, I can do all things through Christ. I just really am not good at that, even though I think I am. i got to find somebody to come do them for me. Um, but you want to know what? You look at that, what that restoring of the soul is. It's like when somebody takes a piece of old furniture. If you watch those, you want to know why I think I can do that? Because I watch those shows where they find like a piece of absolute junk, and they turn it into something that's so beautiful and so wonderful. And you're like, oh, my God, I can totally do that. Let me see what I can find. Drive. Oh, look at that bookshelf. I can rip. I told my husband, he, I'll be like, ooh, I can renovate that. And he's like, just stop. Like, no. <laughs> just go buy it at the store because you're definitely not doing it because I think I can. But the picture of restoring your soul is like a piece of furniture that's not only restored back. It's not usually restored to its original condition. It's usually restored better. And for a different use, you ever see people, they take like an old nasty dresser that looks so disgusting that you wouldn't even get, and they sand it up and they paint it and they pull drawers out of it and they make it like a shelf. That's so cool. But that's what God does with you. His word restores your soul. It takes the mismatched, broken parts that nobody thinks is good for anything, and it actually creates them for maybe even a different use than you originally first thought. He restores your soul through his word. The Bible is sufficient to take what is broken and restore it. It says in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for this is your reasonable service. And be not transformed, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is the good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of God. We have to constantly transform our minds, not with anything else, but with the word. You, can, you transform your mind every second of every day. I got news for you. You transform your mind through the television. You transform your mind through Facebook. You transform your mind through talking to your friends. Your mind is continually being transformed. Because of what is going into your mind is transforming it in some way. You better make sure that the first and foremost authority of what's transforming your mind is this book. 
Because if you let something else, if you're letting Facebook transform your mind, you are not going to be even a picture of what this book says you can be. Amen? You can, you're trans constantly. Why does he see that? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I do not want to be in the acceptable will of God. I don't even want to be in the good will of God. I want to be in the perfect will of God. But the law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. So how can I find the perfect will of God for my life? By looking in the book. It's not going to be, you're not going to find Lauren chapter 23 verse 2 that says, and on that day, Lauren, you should purchase this car over this car. It doesn't say that. I said this morning, you can't, Chris can't look in the Bible and go, which job am I supposed to take? This one or this one? But he might read something in this book about a godly employer and something in his spirit says, this is the place to go, not that one. You say, it's not going to be specific. It's going to be specific enough because if you just begin to follow this step by step by step, I'm just walking my next step in the perfect will of God. I'm going to take my next step in the perfect will of God. I'm going to take my next step in the perfect will of God. I'm going to take my next step. What's the perfect will of God just for this moment of this day? What's your perfect will for this moment of this day? What answer do I need that's the perfect moment for this moment? We sometimes look all the way over there to say, oh, i got to stay in this perfect thing. But if we just go one step at a time, we'll find what is the perfect will of God as you transform your mind in his perfect word. The only thing that can fix your soul is the word of God. But there is a key to it. I'm not going to leave you without the key. How you receive and respond to the word of God is what determines whether you will be transformed by the word of God. I can give you the word, but if you don't put it into practice in your life, it won't work. we got a lot of people who've been in church for years who don't think the word of God works. But it's only because they haven't applied it to their life. Oh, well, I did that. Well, you clearly didn't do it long enough. Well, how long is it going to take? I don't know. But I have learned something. That when I stop worrying about how long it's going to take and I just worry about making him happy in that next step, I really usually don't even care anymore. Because then you become so focused on what's your next move for me that you stop worrying about all this other stuff and what we have to do and well, how's that going to work? You just go, no, I just want to please you right now. What's your will for this moment? What's your will for me today? I don't want you to worry about what's the plan in five years or one year or six months. I want you to say, God, what is your plan for me today? And how can I walk in your perfect will today? I'm going to transform my mind by reading your word. And how can that happen? How can it come across? You read the parable of the sower in the Gospels where it says the sower sows the word. And it says that it's sowed on stony ground and it was sowed in different places. Why? It says that people rejected the word and that word never came to pass in their life. But when it was sowed on good ground, on good soil, it was a 30, 60, 100-fold return. The word of God, when it's sowed in the soil of your heart, you have to make sure the soil is good. That means you don't reject the word. That means you say, I don't understand it. I do not understand half of the things in this Bible. Do you? How does a donkey talk? Unless he's on a Disney channel. How does water literally back up and let however many thousand people walk through it and then close again? How does someone walk on water? How does someone say, peace be still, and everything goes calm? How does God come to earth in human form? 
and get beaten and bruised, nails driven through his hand and hang up on a cross for me, knowing that I was going to turn around and reject him. I don't understand it, but guess what? I receive it and I accept it as so. Why? Because this word is the only thing I know to be true. I've lived with God and I live without God. Let me tell you, I don't know how people live without him. I really don't. You can't. I said I never got tired of God. I got tired of God's people. And I decided I didn't want anything to do with God because his people were kind of crazy. I mean, I was only 16, but hey, I was young then. But I walked away from God. And I'd sit at a bar telling somebody else why they needed to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Why? Because the word of God that was sowed in my life was not going to return void. It was going to accomplish that which he pleased it to do in my life. When my little mama was on her knees for seven years, every single day, believing God and speaking the word of God over my life, the word of God would come up in my mind even when I wanted to shut it out. Even when I didn't want to hear it. But God's word did not return void in my life, and it will not return void in yours. Now my mom says, I just got done. Now I just pray a blanket prayer for all my children. I'm, she said, I spent a lot of years doing that and wearing myself out. And I said, well, thank God you kept praying for me. No, she prays for all, she still prays for all of us. But you know what I mean? Like, think about it. God's word doesn't return void. The problem is we void the power of the word so it can't return void. It, it doesn't have time. Because we didn't see, what if my mom had stopped at six years and said, ah, oh, well, forget it. I don't see this working. She's just as hell-bent as she was before. I might not be standing before you today. I don't know. I believe I would because the word of God that's planted inside me. Because you want to know what? I haven't told this story very often. I walked away from God because of things that happened in church. Because of what I saw and I didn't see people that looked like Jesus. I didn't want any part of it. And I did my own thing. I could never run. The prodigal son, he, was, he came to his own senses. Thank you for listening to this episode of Relevant Live with Pastor Chris. If you are interested in learning more about Relevant Church, we invite you to visit us today at relevantfl.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel to hear more messages like this one every single week. And as always, welcome home.